0: This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. I'm Miranda Savioli with today's health news. A German man has to put his money where the measles is. A German court is requiring anti-vaccination advocate Stefan Lanka to pay a doctor about one hundred thousand dollars after promising the money to anyone who could prove measles is a virus. After more than three hours of testimony, a German court ruled that Dr. Barden's should receive the promised prize money. This, this was German biologist Stefan Lanka. I love the story. He offered a hundred thousand euro for proof that measles exist, and a court made him pay. And this German biologist Stefan Lanka said. You know what? If anyone can even prove that measles exists and is a virus, I will pay a hundred thousand euro. He thought measles was a psychosomatic illness caused or aggravated by mental factors such as conflict or stress. The funniest thing about this is, I'm the first person to tell you, we have so many overdiagnosed conditions in our society, that are psychosomatic, caused by internal conflict or stress, and the medical community doesn't seem that well-equipped to relate that. At the same time, measles is not one of those conditions. Measles is a virus. It was proven, and Stefan Lanka was ordered to pay. Which makes me think he's crazy. Because it's one of the most researched ailments we have. Yeah. So I, I really don't understand why he went after measles.
1: My name is Jim. This is uh, Jim Warfare, (laughs) the battle of ideas. I love it when uh, I love it when the media gets it wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know Stefan well. I I don't know if they ever reported on the, the, you know, he knew he was going to lose in the lower court. Uh, And he knew that the Supreme Court in the civil trial would appoint a scientific master and they had certain rules that they had to follow. And so he presented the paper where they essentially determined that measles was a virus, and you can see in the paper they actually said they didn't know there was, <laughs> if it was a virus or not, and they, they did a kind, <clears throat> kind of control which showed that it wasn't. And the court, as he knew they would, ruled that there was no evidence that the measles virus actually exists. He knew he was going to win that once it got to the Supreme Court. You know, uh, I had a friend who put up a million dollars for anybody who could prove that HIV exists. Uh, That was 30-some years ago. And uh, I think somebody put up 1.5 million euros, I'm not sure about this, for anybody who could show that SARS-CoV-2 exists. and. I know, I don't know the SARS-CoV-2 guy, I know the HIV guy, and I know that he's good with his money and he was not about to lose that money. I grew up in sort of normal, you know, middle class uh, place. The only difference maybe that influenced me was my parents were good friends with a whole group of doctors. My father was a dentist. And some of them were very actually famous, well-known doctors. Like one guy invented the laser for gynecology surgery. And another was chief of oncology for a big hospital near Detroit. And so I knew all these guys well. And so I grew up not being intimidated by supposedly learned, uh, important doctors because... Partly because I was better at golf than they were and they cared a lot about golf. <laughs> and and so I I was by far could beat them all. <clears throat> and I knew that I didn't have to be intimidated by them. So then I went to college and didn't like that. And then actually I, I went and lived in Swaziland for two years teaching gardening. And then I then I realized that the kind of doctor that I didn't want to be, was not the only kind of doctor there was. Mm -hmm. So I went to medical school in 1980, knowing that I was skeptical of everything in medicine. And of course, I didn't know much about what was wrong with it. I knew some, but not, not anything like I do now. And then I, you know, went to medical school started residency I saw, uh, you know, a child get severely injured by a vaccine and I saw them lie about it <clears throat> and not report it. And then I quit because I, you know, after I got my license, because I didn't want to be part of that anymore. And so for 35, 37 years, I had a private sort of GP type practice, you know, so I, basically saw all ages, all people for, you know, various things, pretty much solo practitioner the whole time. <clears throat> a lot of children over the years, I probably gave five plain tetanus shots. That's all I did in 35 years. And by the way, I regret every one of those because I didn't understand tetanus like I do now. So I just made a mistake. And I never saw a bad outcome from any vaccinatable disease. Nobody died, nobody had disabled or anything. So I got pretty comfortable with, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And then I pursued what what sort of me, I guess, my destiny, which is I don't, particularly in science, but not just science, but science and medicine, biology, You know, I don't believe things because everybody else says they're true. So I wrote a book that the heart doesn't pump the blood and vaccines are neither safe or effective and cancer has nothing to do with genetics. And then the easiest one, which is viruses don't cause disease. So, all right, so here we go. So that's the question. How does a virologist know there's a virus and know that it caused disease? So if I ask most people that... They say, well, if a lot of people get sick in the same place in the same sort of way, that proves it's a virus. Or if a lot of people get sick and then it spreads to the next place, that proves it's a virus. Or uh, look, there was uh, nobody was sick at San Quentin and then somebody went there and he was sick and he had a positive test. And then everybody got sick and that proves it's a virus. Or my Aunt Bessie went to church and then... Uncle Fred got sick and that proves it's a virus because there was somebody sick at church. So here's the facts of that. First of all, those are what are called epidemiological observations. And nobody who knows anything about science would say that you can prove the existence of a virus or causation of an illness with epidemiology. So that's basically nonsense. And besides, if you think because a lot of people get sick in one place means it's a virus, you must think Hiroshima was a virus. And if you think because it spreads from one place to another, it must be a virus, then you must think that Chernobyl was a virus. A lot of people got sick and then they got sick in Eastern Europe and then Western Europe. And as far as I know, no rational person thinks it's a virus.
1: It sounds ridiculous when you say it like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that doesn't prove it's a virus. It's yeah, somebody got sick. And anyways, for 100 years, they people noticed that sailors on ships got sick, then the next one and then the next one. And they said it must be contagious. They went to port, then the next sailors got sick and so it must be contagious. And they quarantined them and anything, all that stuff. And then one day somebody ate a lime and the whole thing went away because they had scurvy.
1: Uh, and, and
0: there's been, you know, berry, berry killed millions of people and it happened in families, mm-hmm. one child after another, that was from not processing corn properly, some B vitamin deficient, Pellegra, Berry Berry, on and on. The medical profession has been wrong about contagion, uh, the other thing is I am in possession of 12 peer reviewed very good studies where they looked at uh, people who had quote viral infections and they made them cough on other people and sneeze on them and stuff their snot up their other person's nose and in thousands of cases no nobody got sick. There is not one contagion study showing the transmission of any, quote, viral disease from anybody uh, in, in that way. So that's the first thing.
1: Tom, before you continue, may I just quickly, I just want to clarify something. When you talk about a contagion, what are you referring to?
0: I'm talking about one person making another person sick because of a, quote, microorganism like a virus.
1: Does that include things like bacteria?
0: It does, but let's not get into bacteria right now.
1: Okay, so just viruses. Okay, right.
0: Yeah, it does include bacteria. Nobody has isolated a bacteria and then made another person sick. That has never happened, at least in the published literature in the world that I've seen and I've looked, believe me. I wouldn't say that if I didn't know that was true. Okay, so then, uh, and obviously, you know. virologists have to do something to su- to show the virus right not just read the newspaper and say a lot of people got sick you know so that means it's a virus so here's the thing I and mean, when you ask medical doctors they this is what they say so you take a person who's sick or 100 people or 1000 people right they all have the same symptoms like measles chickenpox or supposedly covid or mumps or the flu or any, quote, viral disease. And you look through any biological fluid they have, blood, urine, feces, snot, eye fluid, tonsils, any fluid. And you have to really listen to this. There is not one published study in in the world medical literature of any pathogenic that is disease-causing virus being found in any biological fluid from any sick person ever none 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 now you may disagree or not disagree with that but let me tell you the people who agree with this statement what i just made there is not one published study of any virus that supposedly causes disease being found in any fluid of any sick person so in writing now 120 different health authorities like the cdc and the fda and nih and south african ministry of health they have all been asked do you have any published paper of SARS-CoV-2 or any pathogenic virus being found in the bodily fluid of any sick person, they said no. No. We asked the, the authors of the six leading papers that, that were the six original papers sh- saying that SARS-CoV-2, was the, that's the name of the virus, is the cause of COVID, that's the disease. And the papers were titled, The Isolation and Characterization of SARS-CoV-2. Isolation means they found the virus. And we asked them, did you find the virus in the bodily fluid of any sick person? And they all said, no, we did not attempt to do that. Now, here's another person. So the health authority said, that, said I'm right. The authors of the six leading papers on SARS-CoV-2 said I was right. And then I was asked to give a talk about what I usually say to a group of worldwide activists, lawyers, you know, the the intelligentsia of the freedom movement, right? And they're not happy with what I'm saying. So they invited a couple virologists, including a guy, a Chinese guy who was 20 years senior uh, virologist at the Wuhan Center for Disease Control Institute of Virology, and then 20 years at Yale University, senior pathologist and head of, head of their virology laboratory. Right? 40 years, you would think this guy knows something about virology, right? So he was there to say, Tom is crazy. So we, I, to- I did my thing. And I said, is, it, have, is there any published case of a SARS-CoV-2 being found in any person, any fluid of any person who's sick with COVID? Answer, no. Why not? There's not enough virus to see. So I was with Andy then, and Andy had the presence of mind to say, what about if you mixed 10 people's sputum together would there then be enough virus to see? He said no. Gee. What about a hundred people? You mixed a hundred people, all who you say have COVID. You look through their fluid. Would there then be enough virus to see? He said no. What about a thousand people? He said no. What about ten thousand people? He said quote There's not enough virus to see," and then he wouldn't answer anymore. So. Anybody who thinks that you can find a virus in any fluid of any sick person is just clearly and absolutely mistaken because that's never been done. Now, the question then that's how you should do it. You get a bunch of people are sick, we have the very specific technique. This is not a technical problem. You, can, you take the sputum, you macerate it, like put it in a blender, you filter it, centrifuge it, you get a band, you suck the band out. The only thing that's in the band is these particles, the size and consistency of a virus. They have a protein coat, they have genetic interior. You characterize it, uh, and that is called isolation and finding the virus. That has never been done. So how do they do it? Why are there 2,000 to 10,000 papers called the isolation of the measles virus, the mumps virus, chickenpox, SARS-CoV-2, HIV? HIV, what did they do? Why are they writing a paper saying they found the virus? Here's what they did. And this started in 1954, when they realized they couldn't find the virus in any fluid of any sick person. So a guy named John Enders, he took snot from somebody with measles. He filtered it, which is not isolation, right? He just It's like making coffee. You grind it, filter it, and you have coffee, which has lots of things in it. Then he uh, put that with milk. And then he, he mixed that with horse serum, calf, bovine embryonic fluid and fetal calf serum. And then he spread that on monkey kidney cells and then nothing happened. And then he put uh, he took away the nutrients from the, from the cells that were growing. He starved them and nothing happened. And then he added antibiotics which are specifically toxic to kidney cells and then the kidney cells broke down into a million pieces. And he said, that proves there was a virus. And the particles that it broke down in, he said, those are the measles virus. Now, here's what's interesting. He did the same experiment with the horse serum, calf serum, starved it, you know, antibiotics, milk, etc., But the second time, he didn't add anything from anybody with measles, right? Hmm. You with me? Yeah. And you know what happened? It broke down in exactly the same way. He said, quote, the results were indistinguishable, which means that it had nothing to do with measles person because there was nothing from the measles person in there. (laughs) It was because... He poisoned and starved the monkey kidney cells or the horse serum or something, broke down, and 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 bro- it, when tissue dies, it forms these little particles, which we've known about for 80 years, which look like what are called viruses. But they're just, it's like the analogy I gave was, if you go looking for pieces of paper outside your house and you don't find any, And then you come back a week later and there's two houses that are blown to smithereens and there's all these paper bits all over the lawn, right? You say, I know what happened. The paper got into the house, reproduced itself, (laughs) blew up the house, and that's why you have millions of bits of paper. And then a little boy in a bicycle comes by and says, hey mister, somebody put dynamite in the house and blew up the house. Yeah. These are not coming from the outside.
1: They're Coming from now, the outside.
0: Now, Stefan and Andy and I reproduce, you know, Stefan w- was a virologist and he reproduced this study. We helped support and fund it. And we did the whole thing all over again. We took cells and we grew them and they were fine. And then we uh, added calf serum and they were fine. And then we added a little bit of antibiotics and they were fine. And then we took away the, the, the nutrients exactly like all of the isolation experiments. <clears throat> and then we added the same antibiotics that they add to all the isolation experiments and they, the tissue broke down, proving that it was a virus but there was no virus anywhere in there. There was just normal tissue, fetal calf serum, antibiotics, take away the nutrients, breaks down. That is the proof the virus exists. It's called the cytopathic effect, means cell killing. If they see the cells die, they say that proves it's a virus. And we've proved that the cell killing comes because of we starved and poisoned the tissue. There's no virus involved at all. And there we go. That's the whole story right there. And so every analysis, every genome, every variant is based on this breakdown of the tissue which there's no virus. And then by the way, so we didn't add a virus Right. And then we added some RNA from yeast. And then we, we sequenced the entire SARS-CoV-2 genome, which was never in there because there was nothing from anybody with COVID or anything. So we literally sequenced the genome just by adding RNA from yeast, which has no virus in it proving that the sequencing of the genome is a complete fraud so you have to stick with the fact first that there is no pathogenic virus that has ever been found in any sick person what what's happening here in the days of Koch and pasteur and those people they said all the organisms in us came from the outside yep. and they're poisoned. Now, then there was a transition. So some are from the outside and are make you sick. And some are from the inside, right? The reality, they're all from the inside. All of the so-called viruses, is, it's a misconception. It's just the breakdown of your tissue. I used to say before COVID, there's three things that make you sick. One, you, you have an injury, like you fall off a horse, right? Yes. That's different. So everybody knows about that. Right. Number two, you starve the person. Now, there's creative ways of starving people, like you can not give them vitamin C and then they get scurvy or B3 or whatever it is, and then you get beriberi or pellagra. I can't remember which one. Or you could starve people of love or of affection or security. Or lack or- of sleep or sleep or there's lots of interesting and creative ways of starving a human being. And then you make them sick or you can poison them. And we also have creative ways of poisoning people. Glyphosate, EMFs, arsenic, mercury, inject aluminum. You know, you could go on and on.
1: Vaccines.
0: That's why people get sick. Now I've added a fourth since COVID, which I actually think is the worst of all. I didn't so much appreciate this and I call it, uh, delusional thinking. Because thinking, uh, nonsense is bad for your health. (laughs) So, so those are the four ways. So, uh, if you scare the shit out of somebody and you know, that's poisoning them. Right. And You can go through the physiology and the hormones and all that, but you, you everybody knows if you d- don't feed somebody, if you feed them only, you know, in poo-poo, let well, the Swazi that, then they get sick because you need other things. If you intoxicate them with, you know, cheap beer all day long, mm-hmm. they get sick. If you put, if you don't let children go outside, they get sick if you put a mask over your face so you're breathing in your own exhaust you're you that's a poison so you get sick and and some of them are common yes and then you go you, you call that measles that's like common to all children or chickenpox here's the thing yeah here's the thing every study that's ever been done on measles and chickenpox says definitively children who get measles and chickenpox have less disease for the rest of their life less cancer less diabetes less heart disease less arthritis and if you don't go through it you end up with more tendency to asthma eczema cancer etc so this is not actually a disease it's a cleansing maturation process it's like a snake shedding its skin you say okay snake you know, when you're shedding your skin, a wombat might come and eat you. So we're going to stop you from shedding your skin. And then the snake has a a tight skin and it can't live. And of course, there's some risk, you know. Yes. But not very much with measles or chickenpox. I mean, essentially none. Uh, and 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 so we've turned that maturation step into a disease process and then we make everybody sick for life now here's the thing what then the next question is well yeah but my child got chicken pox from somebody else
1: yes or, or flu
0: yeah or flu but first of all uh you know if if you put wallpaper that's impregnated with arsenic in your house you will see a lot of people get sick You know, they used to make uh, wallpaper with arsenic in it and millions of them. And is that a virus when everybody get all the children get sick? If you spray glyphosate in somebody's house and they all get sick, is that a virus? So just because people get sick in the same time, you know, if you go to a restaurant and eat bad chicken and you get food poisoning, is that a virus? It's there's a poison. And all living beings communicate through, you know, resonance with other living beings saying, you know, now it would be a good time to go through this cleansing called chicken pox. We're all good here. Just do it now. So you do. And that's why you sometimes see, not always, that, you know, children will, quote, pick it up. They'll transmit it to another child. Just like a tree will transmit, there's beetles around, next tree you go make some, you know, resin or something to protect yourself. And they do. Is that a disease? No, it's a communication strategy.
1: Tom, is that why if I yawn, then other people in the room will also yawn?
0: Yes, and if you're a 20 year old woman and you put 20 of them in a cabin, they all menstruate at the same time. Is that a virus? No. So who, who was it who, who proved that things that are communicated between other between people means it's a virus? Do you think if you go in a room and everybody is angry and sad that you don't pick that up and you feel a sort of angry, sad vibration, you can feel it immediately? Is that a virus? We, we have such an impoverished view of, well, reality, but life because the reason this all got started and, you know, when people ask me, how can all these people be so wrong? Yes. Here's why. Here's why. 150 years ago, but it goes back even more, but let's just say 150 years ago, they decided that everything in a human being or any living being is purely physical and works by mechanical processes. Nothing else is permissible, right? They decided that, so there it is. And the question, is that correct? So here's my, if if you think that only physical stuff happens, let me ask you a question. Do you love your wife yeah is have you ever seen a substance called love according to medicine it's you don't because that doesn't exist that's what science says you don't love your wife because there is no physical thing that anybody has seen called love and I was told in medical school it's all, human being, only physical things. It's nonsense. And if you believe that, you have to end up believing that that physical things called viruses and all the rest of it, that it's all it's it's.
1: But then how do you then? What is it? What do you what are you saying, Tom?
0: I'm saying that we are. Electromagnetic beings and I can get into the I I don't have time to get into the whole system we're basically water water is the radio and you say where does the signal from the radio come from not from the radio right from the radio waves the radio downloads somehow those signals and makes music or talking so we are water organized structured crystalline water you can prove it we accept signals in the form of thoughts light sound emotions thoughts chemicals hormones download those it organizes our water and we create a living being out of those and if there's some disturbance in the water like you have poison dissolved in the water or you don't have enough minerals or disturbance in the field, right? So instead of being in the sun, you're only in EMFs. Then you make uh, disturbed uh, proteins and you're sick. But
1: does it also apply to animals?
0: Of course, and plants and everything. And not only that, every system of thought and every system of medicine Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Native American medicine, Druid medicine, all thought exactly like this until modern medicine. And they said, no, all that's baloney. It's all just physical stuff. I'd love to see the double blind study that shows that only physical stuff exists. Here's another question. If only physical stuff exists, Did you marry your wife because she has six more carbon atoms than the next woman? But that's all there is. You see, the problem is everybody knows, every human being knows, that's nonsense. I don't marry somebody because they have six more sulfurs than, you know, (laughs) the next person. In fact, I don't even know how many sulfurs anybody has. In fact, it's irrelevant. I marry them because they have a certain quality, right? A certain character, a certain, and, and, and that also impacts the physical structure to a certain extent, right? I'm not saying there isn't physical structure, but you marry them because of the there's a sense. Now, the problem is we've been told in science that sense doesn't exist. The reason I buy a chair is because my sense of who made it and what the wood is. Everything a human being does is about quality, but quality doesn't exist in science. The reason I eat this carrot and not that carrot is because of the quality of the carrot, but quality doesn't exist in science. So I might as well, according to my doctor, who I don't have a doctor, uh, he, uh, he, he doesn't know the difference. He thinks you're dead. Spanish flu wasn't contagious. Boston Health Department uh, did a study. They took a, a hundred and some people with the Spanish flu, one of the deadliest viral infections so-called ever. They bribed a bunch of prisoners and said they'd let them out and they made them cough in their face and took snot and stuff it up their nose. And they said, not one got sick. And then interestingly, they said, well, that's because we didn't use aggressive enough techniques to transfer the infection. 150 or so people, not one got sick. And even though they took mucus when they were actively sick, and withdrew it and shot it up the the prisoner's nose and I remember first time I read it I thought so what more aggressive techniques were they talking about like what about a lung transplant like maybe that would get them sick the problem is how do you know it's the virus and not the fact that you took somebody's lung out and put it in another person right this is this And, you know, we went through all these black deaths and some of them, you know, were caused by rats. But turns out they didn't have any rats. It's all just make-believe.
1: But what happened then, Tom?
0: You know, it depends. Each situation is different. Um, It could have been. I mean, I'm no expert on going back into these plagues. And, And the problem is because we have no other theory than viruses, you know, nobody looks into what happened. I mean, there was a, this bizarre story just to show how ludicrous the whole thing is there. Some story in 1200 that they now say the virus had a, uh, had, a, had trophism, which means it had a tendency to infect pre, pre-pubescent girls, right? So they, this guy does some research, and he finds out that one of the theories at the time was that they didn't sacrifice enough virgins to the to the <sighs> god, and so they were killing <laughs> pre <laughs> girls. You know, and and so you you each one has its own bizarre story of what happened. Almost always, there was wars and famine and pestilence and shitting in the streets and
1: parvo is a virus that supposedly moves between dogs.
0: Yeah. Um, show me an isolated parvo virus from one dog and I'll, I'll retract my book.
1: Right. Okay. But, but, uh, but then what is, what is actually then causing illness? It's everything else basically is what you're saying. And
0: okay. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you 10 minutes or 20 minutes ago. Sure. What causes uh, tissue cultures to get sick. Two right. things.
1: Yeah, toxins and starvation.
0: Okay, what, what happened to those dogs? What are well, dogs supposed to eat?
1: Well, I'm I'm guessing nutritious food.
0: How about raw meat? How many of those dogs who got sick had a diet of raw meat that they caught themselves? You know what the number is?
1: Probably zero.
0: Right. What more do you need to know? Show me one dog that eating its natural diet. So it's not Every other dog is starving, right? Because if you cook, you know, Pottinger did a study with cats. Cats don't cook their meat. So Mm. he did a study fed cats raw meat. Seven generations. They were fine. Fed them cooked meat. One generation, they all got sick. Why? That's not the food for cats. Cats don't cook their food. What happens? I mean, I don't know, they get rid of the enzymes or something. Mm. It's not so important right now to, to say what happened to the meat, except it's obvious that cats can't eat, live healthy lives on cooked meat. Do you, do you think dogs are meant to live in cages? Right. Yeah. And they put them in cages. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to be like pissed off and stressed and bite people and act weird. I don't blame them because if I was a dog and they stuck me in a cage and gave me, you know, cooked, dried dog food, I'd bite somebody too. Uh, A province in Germany that I know for sure, I don't have the exact number, May 2019, 7,400 deaths, right, before the, quote, pandemic. May 2020, height of the pandemic, same province, approximately 7,200 deaths, so it went down. May 2021, four months after the start of the uh, injections, 8,500 deaths. What happened? Nothing. Then they poison the people and they start dying. So Mark Twain said, he was one of my favorites, it ain't what you don't know that gets you, it's what you know for sure, but just ain't so.
1: <laughs> Can I ask you a very basic question then? Is it, is it possible for the layman to test what you're saying?
0: They can think, wait, maybe they should try that first. Mm. And they can read. I, I just wrote a booklet describing this whole thing in 40, I think, two pages called Breaking the Spell. And so I lay the whole case out. You can get it online so you can download it. It costs, I think, five bucks, five dollars. So dirt cheap. Dirt cheap. Read it, 43 pages, that's fair enough, we're done. Then go on with your life. Because if you say it's a virus, you have to show me the virus, which you can't do, Yeah. and show that it transmits illness, which you cannot do. And so it's not that, it, oh, well, it might not be, it is not. And the fact that nobody has actually studied what might have happened to those people, I can say, maybe they all had exposure to electromagnetic field maybe there's bioresidence maybe they all ate you know Mm. kimchi turkey that went bad and then they got snot up their nose maybe i don't know i don't know what happened to those people but i know for sure it's not a virus we are biological beings that are nourished by the The electromagnetic field from the sun and the moon and Jupiter and the Earth and other human beings, and when you change that to just certain wavelengths, high intensity, you make people sick every single time, and that's called Wi-Fi
1: or Bluetooth so we have or five G.
0: Hundred studies showing that for hundred years, increasing in intensity and duration. Uh, so, some... You know, every once in a while, people say to me, well, I how could I get sick? I I, I don't have any exposure to any poisons at all. Right. And I think, you got... have you ever looked up in the sky and looked at all this stuff they're putting in the air, and every drop of, of human breast milk has you know 120 carcinogenic chemicals and you're full of aluminum and wireless radiation that's enough to you know kill honeybees in 5 minutes i mean are you kidding me you're mm. not exposed to any toxins i mean that the, the naivety to say that is yeah. is astounding
1: in front of you there is a crystal ball what do you see
0: a crystal ball. That's it.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a great pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much.
0: All right. You take care.
1: My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, The Battle of Ideas.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.